Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Welcome back to a, another episode of Transatlantic Infusion with me, Devin Moncada, and Camille Clausen, two best friends across the pond, the Atlantique, from each other as we figure out ourselves and the world around us. Welcome back. Hi, Camille. How are you? Hi, Devin. I am good. I am doing great. We were singing quite a bit here before we recorded, which <laughs> was yeah. fun. <laughs> Turns out that uh, we know I will survive pretty much by heart just by listening to it for so many years. Because we're survivors. Yes, yeah. We, yes, but I should really change my locks. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are prime enforcers of the alphabet mafia. Exactly. How have you been? How was your week? Um, it's been super fucking hot here. Not even going to beat around the bush. We got another heat wave, which is, it's not as bad, but like, I'm so over it. I can't wait for fall. I want to have a Christian girl autumn where I'm just like in big sweaters and it's nippy outside and leaves are falling and I'm just chugging pumpkin spice lattes. I don't even drink coffee, but I want like, I just want that aesthetic and I want to pretend like climate change doesn't exist for like two months out of the year. Um, but that's, other than that, a, you're asking for a lot. I don't know if we can do that. <sighs> I know. Anyway. Uh, but other than that, my week was pretty good. I got paid, which is always a highlight because I had a, a dirty capitalist surviving in a doggy dog world, AKA America. Um, but no, I did pay bills and that was nice and I have some spending money left over and then um, uh, continuing to take care of myself uh, anyone listening uh, take care of yourself go on that stupid little walk for your stupid mental health it's not stupid because you're not stupid and uh, take your meds if I reminded you to take your meds reward yourself by going to take your meds and afterward have a have a Reese's cup you've earned it um <laughs> I also discovered the joy of Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Zero Sugar, which has been nice. I love I love sugar-free things, and I'm going to come out and say it, and I know you're going to cringe. I love artificial sweeteners now because I can have sweet things without feeling like I'm going to die or, like, pass out, which is really great. So, yay, Splenda. Um, <clears throat> other than I, that... I am facepalming oh. so hard right now. I'm, I'm happy you're happy. What? I'm feeling really judged. No, I'm happy if you're happy. I just, I was thinking, do we have Splenda here? And we don't. Do we have artificial sweeteners here? Do you even have Diet Coke so. there? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's Coca-Cola. It's everywhere. Um, no, I yeah. mean Diet Coke. Like the only good Coke worth drinking. Actually, I don't know. We have Coca-Cola, we have Coca-Cola Zero, and possibly the ones with the weird taste, like cherry. Oh, Coke Zero is fine. You know, it's better than Pepsi. Uh, <laughs> <sponsor>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, the last thing for my check-in is that I also want to acknowledge some of the news, because it's all bad news, but it's news that we have to talk about. Um, well, uh, COVID is still a thing here. Uh, but vaccinations are also ticking up again. I have no idea how it's going in France, um, but I hope everyone who knows. I hope everyone who's listening will get vaccinated if they're not already. Please, this is serious. If they uh, can, 
yeah. Not everybody can. can. Let's not put pressure on people that can't. Exactly. And by that, I mean, if you're not immunocompromised. And if you don't have the allergies that keep you from getting it. Yeah. Other than that, I'm not really like, get vaccinated, please. Um, And then Afghanistan's about to fall like South Vietnam in the 60s or in the 70s. So that's um, sad. (sighs) Has that been in the news there at all? Well, I don't know. I haven't watched the news in a little bit because uh, I was I mainly watched the news when I worked from home because that's during my lunch break. Um, mm. But working from the office, I don't get to see the news. I did see a CNN breaking news on my phone earlier today that Biden is sending 5000 troops over there. Um, but that's it. Yeah, they're doing that so they can uh, accelerate the evacuation of American diplomats as well as um, evacuees and protected people. So they're trying to rush to, I guess, evacuate like uh, interpreters, their families, uh, ambassadors and things like that, because as as well as destroy sensitive uh, material, because mm-hmm. Kabul is Kabul is really one of the only areas left standing. And it's frustrating and this is not the topic of this episode, because on the one hand, it's like, oh, I, the Taliban is awful. We all know the Taliban is awful, and we don't want Afghanistan to be controlled by the Taliban. But it's also kind of like a moment where, like, if we haven't stopped the Taliban in Afghanistan after literally 20 years of being there, I don't really get the people who are like, well, we should just send all the troops back in to stop them. And I'm like, it's not going to work. It's it's frustrating, and it's it's tragic, and I just I've been trying to block it out as much as I can too, but that's where we're at right now. Yeah. Um. Oh, and another interesting thing is that this week they finally released the official census data, which has been really interesting. Um. First of all, the American population only grew by about seven percent, which is the smallest percentage of population growth in the United States since the 1930s which is pretty impressive. But it makes uh, sense. Yeah. 1930s Great Depression, and now we're in a full-blown pandemic, and the econo- economy is not doing well. So, ta-da. Mm-hmm. Uh, urban areas grew the fastest and the most across the entire country, and rural areas are shrinking, which is not surprising. Also, there has been an exponential growth in uh, Latinos and Hispanics, Uh, Asian Americans and people who identify as black and as multiracial. And for the first time since 1790, uh, the percentage or the like proportion of white people has declined in the United States. So the future of the United States is taking shape in our demographics. Demographics is destiny, as anyone will tell you. And the United States is looking like it is going to be a minority majority country which is essentially when no one group of people be it white people black people asians hispanics um will be the majority in the united states and this sounds really weird to comment on but for the longest time american identity has been shaped around being white and being a white christian and that's changing and we have to accept that we are a multiracial multicultural nation and you know uh of course republicans are losing their mind over it but the main (laughs) thing i wanted yeah exactly uh but the main thing i wanted to comment on and the main uh 
impact of it, at least in the short term, is that they had to release this information to get um, to start putting together the data for redistricting because every 10 years they redistrict congressional districts in preparation for midterms and presidential elections and whatnot. Um, and this is a big deal because as, as in the last time uh, in 2010, Republicans hold the most power in doing that. And Republicans only need to take five seats from Democrats in order to gain control of the House of Representatives. Uh, and it looks like they can do that um, at least like without taking into account like vote share or anything like that, just by gerrymandering the states where they have full control. And just on a raw basis, more Republicans control more seats than Democrats because the other proportion are controlled by independent commissions. It's something like 180 seats are controlled by Dem by Republicans who can gerrymander the shit out of them. Like 70-something are controlled by Democrats and the rest by independent commissions. So there was a lot of concern that the census data, because Trump interfered with it so much, would be uh, used by Republicans to help with their gerrymandering. But it <laughs> looks like it was kind of a wash. So there is still a really strong chance, unfortunately, that Republicans will take the House of Representatives in 2022. But the data does show some really good bright spots for Democrats. So that's been really interesting. And really the main things that have been happening on my end this week, um, what's been happening with you? Uh, I, uh, okay. <laughs> I, my coworker, I told him that blew his mind on Monday. And on the Friday, I saw him again, and he told me he couldn't stop thinking about it, and it was making him mad. <laughs> what is it? That was the highlight of my week. On Monday, I told him, I told him, dude, uh, guess what? I learned that if Jeff Bezos <laughs> gave a billion dollars to everybody on Earth, including children, he would still have over 177 billion dollars in his account and he told me huh man that's crazy to be so rich and I thought that was it and that was on the Monday and then he worked from home so I didn't see him and then on Friday he was like you and he was like <laughs> waving his finger in my face and I was like you what you said last time and so I did the same time I was like what what is it was your finger in my face because I hate when people do that to me I find it like like put your hand somewhere leap away from my face and um he was like you told me about jeff bezos giving everybody a billion dollars and still being like super 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 rich and i was like yeah he's like i can't stop thinking about it, it makes me so mad and i was like yep <laughs> welcome to my world how would you like to go to the atmosphere for 10 minutes nasa reviewed their uh, definition <sighs> of what an astronaut is so that Richard Bronson and uh, Jeff Bezos would not be considered astronauts anymore, which I thought was petty, and I'm here for it. I am too, on balance. Also, <clears throat> I want to say I would love some pointers because your country has a glorious tradition of, let's just say... Chopping people's heads off? Yeah, taking care of the rich. Yeah, and we haven't done that since 
the French Revolution. And the last time the guillotine was used on someone was, I think, 1973, which is more recent than people might think. Um, and uh, it wasn't on a rich person. I remember what he did, but it wasn't because he was rich. Huh. Well, also, the French are good at cooking. Any good seasonings for when we eat the rich? <laughs> so I would like <laughs> maybe a little bit of a garlic butter. And <laughs> of course, you can't forget the salt and pepper. I personally like to add Tabasco to whatever. So, um, but yeah, so that was just kind of funny too. Um, because, you know, you and I talk quite a bit and um, a lot of the stuff that I final that is still you know from english speaking folks and probably mostly from americans i don't know um so to then have these conversations with french people is always kind of interesting because i feel like it's stuff that they might have already seen online or that they would have realized how rich the richest man on the planet was um and no i guess no no because another coworker was like what what is it what was the fact and i told her and she was like what so I think I'm just going to keep finding uh, facts to uh, tell them to blow their mind. So mm-hmm. that's my new mission at work. But also I'm on a holiday starting on uh, next Thursday, which is fun. I'm on holiday for a week. Um, I'm honestly starting to feel the burn uh, and not, not, not Bernie Sanders, but you know, burnout. burnout. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'm getting really, it's kind of weird. Cause I, I never thought it would happen to me, but I'm, I'm having, a hard time motivating myself to work and I'm getting, I can feel like I have a, a shorter fuse than usual when it comes mm-hmm. to doing stuff. Um, so I'm excited to take a break and hopefully then go back to work and feel okay again. Cause I like my job. So no reason I should start hating it. Yeah. And uh, otherwise, I mean, I had burritos tonight uh, from that, El Paso kit thingy and uh, I would like to apologize to everybody who's ever had a hand in uh, making burritos a thing because I had to eat my first one with a knife and a fork I ate a burrito with a knife and a fork Devin a knife and the fork Devin my co-workers eat their burgers with knives and forks and I always thought that was a crime and then here I am tonight eating a burrito with a knife and fork Quiero decir a los auditores hispanohablantes, disculpamos, no es la culpa de mí, es la culpa de Camille y y no tengo las palabras a describir mi... eh, Wow. Are you telling our Spanish-speaking listeners, Hispanic listeners, that basically, like... It's Camille, it's not me. I have nothing to do with it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> How did you know? Because it's so close to French, I kind of caught some words. No, but really, Mierda. I know. I was, well, the thing, okay, merde, toi-même. Huh? No, but really, <laughs> I think it was, my mom and I were so excited. For my mom, she loves, you know, tacos. She used to work at an American bar that used to make tacos. So she's all for the tacos. But burritos, that was the first time she was making her own. And here I thought I was, you know, a pro, but I wasn't because I got so excited. I put way too much on there. Also, their tortillas from the box. Rookie mistake. Also, yeah, but they were half the size of the ones I'm used to using. They were so tiny. You have to use huge tortillas. Yeah, their tortillas were the side of my head. That's it. You see, 
see how how am I supposed to fold something like that that's not possible it was a tiny disc I was like what are we supposed to do with that there's more dough than anything else in there so the first one I was like fuck it I'm gonna eat that with cookery and then the second one I managed to kind of make a thingy that worked and I the, the glory of it was that obviously I walked away from the table with you know sauce all over my hands and my mouth um so that was a beautiful meal but I yep. miss I, I miss because you know all I was putting in there was some meat with onions mm-hmm. a tiny bit of salad uh couldn't fit tomatoes in there because that would have been too much tiny bit of grated cheese guacamole sour cream and some salsa and tabasco that's it that's not a whole Sounds lot but that's not a Sounds whole lot I was I was so sad, but it was delicious. But I was so. I, I I'm also so just giving you shit because most quote unquote Mexican food is really just Tex-Mex food here, so I it's know. not really Mexican food. Um, that's kind of the food I have the most experience with, so it's like it's fine. But girl, I really got to show you how to make homemade tortillas, which is not hard, as well as homemade refried beans and Mexican rice. Yes. It'll, it's so easy, so cheap, and you are, like, your burritos will be forever changed. Like I now yes. only like having homemade frijoles. It's really good. Please um, show me. Frijoles. Because just as an indication for people that want to visit France, they don't have refried beans in stores. So... I guess I'll make my own. Also, for a country of white people that is actually known for good cooking, y'all don't use spices that much, do you? No, no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. French it's people genetic. don't put spice in anything. <laughs> they don't season shit. I was like, what? Yeah, they think pepper is spice. Yeah. Well, I also do want to acknowledge that there is, like, there are different types of spicy that you can and can't handle. For example, I know that there is a huge difference between like like Latin spicy food and like Asian spicy food and it's like a totally different type of heat. For example, I would kind of compare it to like Mexican spice is in general uh more chili based so it's a little bit more earthy and it's a little bit more um yeah, earthy and it's not as um sweet. Whereas, like, Asian spice, like, Thai spice and, like, like Chinese and Japanese spice, from my experience, of course, I'm generalizing because that's what you have to do when you're talking about a huge, like, area like that. It's, in general, a lot more sweet and a lot more, like, high intensity, like, piquancy, mm. like, yeah, piquant, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's, like... It's it's different. It hits you different. It kind of goes after different like taste receptors and things like that. So it's like it's not yeah. for everyone. Like I can't do like super well, spicy like pad thai, but I love like super spicy tacos and things like that. So yeah. it's just you know well, it's a matter of adjustment. Exactly, and I would also just because you were talking about general generalizing, um, I would just like to point out though that basically when I say French people don't know how to season, I'm talking about French white people, okay uh because (laughs) dude we have like a lot of communities here you know let's not forget that we had colonies all over the fucking place um which was gross but we have a lot of people that then came to france uh when the colonies gained their independence you know my father is one of them we have a lot of communities of uh, people of color and stuff with all different cultural cultural backgrounds um, and obviously different foods. I know that when you go to Paris, of course, if you want to stick to eating at the Ritz or like, you know, eating at famous French restaurants, sure, it's going to look fancy, cost an arm and a leg and 
probably be good. I would hope so. Um, but if the portion is tiny than my palm, I don't want it. Um, but then you can also just go to like African restaurants and get like a bowl of like rice and chicken. And, you know, like I remember there is one that's not so far away from my workplace and we went there and oh my God, that was so good. And they ask you like, do you want to add some more spice to it? And then they also, or do you want it on the side? And I was like, mm, I'll take it on the side. Cause I don't know what you mean by spicy. And um, I suffered. Okay. I, I, I was too brave. I was like, I love spicy and this sauce is good. I'm going to put it all over my rice bowl with the chicken. And uh, it was delicious. But goodness, it hurt. <laughs> but it was so good. So, <laughs> it hurt so um, good. It hurt so good. So, yeah. So French white people, well, yeah. uh, probably, you know, at least the ones where I've gone to eat at their place or whatever, or that I've cooked for or seen at restaurants, don't seem to really handle their seasoning or spice more specifically. Yeah, <sighs> I, I don't get people who go to like big cities to eat at the tourist traps. I, I I never did that when I was in Barcelona. I do not intend to do that when I go to France. No. I want to go to like the little like side of the wall dives and like the street food. And like I know that France, specifically Paris, has amazing Vietnamese food, amazing mm. like Ethiopian and like North African food, yes. like taboule mm -hmm. and like all the great couscous, couscous and all that. I oh, cannot wait to try so it. Good. Oh, and like traditional so French food is good too, but like seasoning's fine. Seasoning's fine. Yeah. But, um, like when you make a steak, yeah. you know, you don't have to just put salt and pepper. What's Marinated. that joke? I mean, Europe conquered over half the world to yes. get spices and now they don't and use they, them. They still them. don't know how to use them. Yeah, I know. It's it's accurate. It's yeah. accurate. So, um, anyway, you gave me a mission last week. And I have fulfilled I it. I did. Yes. Uh, so, for those of, who, those of you who are listening who caught last week's episode, you know that we love to talk about movies here. And Camille is trying to beef up her pop culture knowledge both like when it comes to american pop culture and also just to kind of european french pop culture because um when you're caught between two cultures you miss a lot of stuff right yes yes for sure. um so we focused on the twilight saga which uh, uh there you go uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's kind of We've kind of revolved around, it's my turn, I guess, to show Camille some of my favorite movies. And the first movie that we decided to do was the 1963 film Charade by, um, I forget who the director is, but it's a universal film starring. Who is it? Who is it? It is, it is, it is, it is Stanley Donan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was released in 1963, and it stars Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. And it is, uh, mwah, it, it is one of my absolute favorite movies. Uh, for context and to kind of give like a general overview before I ask Camille more about it, uh, this movie uh, was critically acclaimed upon its release. It was filmed on location in Paris with score by Henry Mancini, who is a very well-renowned well film composer of the era. And it has been described as the best Hitchcock movie that Hitchcock never made. And um, it shows. It's, it's a thriller, it's a romance, and it's a comedy. And it does it very well. 
So to give a brief synopsis, the stories, the film starts with Regina Lampert, who is on vacation in the Alps with her friend Sylvie and her kid. And she's telling her about how she is planning on getting a divorce from her mysterious, uh, cut off and um, non-communicative husband, Charles. Uh, and you get the vibe that she just kind of married him, didn't really know that much about him and kind of became a little bit like a socialite and um, it's not really her. So she also, while getting ready to leave, meets this guy named Peter Joshua and they kind of hit it off, but she has to go back to Paris. But when she gets back to her lavish apartment in the middle of Paris, it has been completely stripped bare, like no clothes, no furniture, the electricity has been cut off. And she's like, what the hell is going on? So she runs frantically through the whole building, screaming for the maid, screaming for her, her husband. And she's like, what's going on? And then she is met by a French detective who escorts her back to the precinct and informs her Inspector, that her husband, Inspector, I am so sorry, mm -hmm. um, that her husband was found murdered by the side of the train tracks on the way to Switzerland or on the way to leave France. Um, and In his has, pajamas. That's an important yep. detail. <laughs> In his pajamas uh, with nothing but like a, a toiletries bag and a letter to his wife. Um, what makes it crazy is that a few days before he did this, before he tried to leave, he sold literally everything in their apartment for a quarter of a million dollars, which is a lot of money for that time. But no one knows where the money is. And of course, Regina, who has been talking about how she wants to get a divorce, has a lot of mixed feelings. And she's also kind of suspected of being the one to kill her husband. So she doesn't really know what to do. She talks to this guy, Peter, who she met uh, in the Alps again. And she kind of moves into a hotel and she has to become a working girl again. She started her career as a simultaneous translator. And so she has to start doing that again. Um, but even more mysteriously, she is called in to meet with a Mr. Bartholomew at the American embassy to talk about the death of her husband, which is weird because her husband was French, or no, her husband was Swiss, supposedly, until the French inspector shows her five different passports that he hold, that he had. So she really didn't know anything about her husband, and he's kind of revealed to be a bit of a crook and a mysterious figure. So she's brought into the embassy, and she is told that her ex, like her former husband, her dead husband, was actually a former U.S. spy who stole a quarter of a million dollars from the U.S. government and has been living on the run ever since. And that in all probability, he was trying to make a run for it again and was murdered and the money has been stolen. Or she has the money. Everyone seems to think she has the money, even though she has no idea where it is. So she's told by the CIA guy who she met at the embassy that she has to find the money or she's probably going to end up murdered. Um, at the funeral of her husband, the three mysterious guys, three mysterious men appear and, you know, check out the body, make sure he's dead. And they're later revealed to be the uh, agents who worked with her husband and who also were accomplices in stealing the money. They're desperate to get the money, too, and they are threatening her life to make sure that she stays in Paris. And also so that they find the fucking money, like a quarter of a million dollars. Where the hell did it go? So with that. They have to figure out where it is. But not only that, someone's been murdering each of the people involved. So first, 
the really scary guy with the hook for a hand shows up dead after her husband. Then the little squirrely guy who has allergies. And then the Texan guy who was like the most suspicious out of all of them shows up suffocated. So is she going to get killed? Not only that, but Peter Joshua, the guy who she met in the Alps and is helping her, he kind of seems to have a bit of an identity crisis because first he sh- she <laughs> says that he says that he's Peter Joshua. That was a lie. He says he's Carson Dial's brother, one of the guys who was killed with them while they were on the mission and stole the money. That turns out to be a lie. Then she then he reveals that he's just a common thief and he wants the money. But is that really true? She can't really find out. And, you know, is he going to hurt her? Eh, it's kind of all over the place. Meanwhile, she has the hots for him and uh, he likes her, but he won't really admit it. <clears throat> so it all culminates in this huge chase across Paris through the subway system to the Palais Royal Colonnade, where it is revealed that the agent who was supposed to be helping her is actually Carson Dial, and that the money is actually in the form of these super rare collectible stamps, which are worth a quarter of a million dollars. So they have to get the stamps. And so there's this shootout. Uh, They have to fight and hide for their lives. And all's well that ends well. Um, But at the end, with her crook thief bow in tow they go back to the american embassy to return the money she goes into a mr crookshank's office and walks in the office and lo and behold who's sitting behind the desk brian crookshank alex brian peter peter joshua yeah none other than mr cary grant And the movie ends with this beautiful exchange where she hands over the stamps and he says, I'll prove my identity when we put it on the marriage license next week. You won't, because she's like, I'm not giving them to you until I see some ID. And he's like, no, uh, whatever. And she's like, no, I want to see some ID now. You know, how do I know that you're really you? And then he's like, fine, I'll put on the marriage license next week. And she was like, no, I want some ID now. And she's like, marriage license? Why did you see marriage license? And then and they, they kiss and yeah. happily ever after. There you go. So that's like a very brief synopsis. But honestly, very, it it's is, a two hour long movie. It, yeah, it's it, that, that's back when movies were not afraid to be movie length, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, parts of the movie have age. Like you can tell it's an older movie. Some of the humor is not all that great. Like some of the pop culture stuff. However, the general humor, the plot, the music, the location, um, the story really holds up. Um, but Camille, I'm going to like turn it over to you and say, uh, what did you think of the movie in general? I was hooked within the first five minutes, man. I It was my first time watching an Audrey Hepburn movie. Um, and so I had no idea that she was actually that funny. She, she's just so funny. She's so witty. And... Um, I don't know, great, how do you say it? Repart- Delivery? Repart- yeah, but also, like, how do you say it in English? Reparté? Reparté, yeah, reparté. Yeah, like, exactly. She works really well with, like, uh, with Cary Grant. Yeah, and also just, you know, someone tells her something and she's got an answer in, like, a split second. Boom, 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 you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. and she's also, you know, she's hungry all the time. 
which I thought was really fun because let's not forget this movie is from 1963 and Audrey Hepburn was like so thin and so for her to constantly be eating or saying I'm hungry I could faint I'm so hungry I could faint and I'm like that's me I'm not that thin but goodness that's me <laughs> like even well, Cary Grant at wanted... some point tells her like oh you know I understand that you're hungry like you've only eaten five times today and I was like only five times <laughs> that's nothing yeah. Yeah, and I want to put a pin in that because uh, we're going to talk about that when we talk about the badass of the week, who is Kel Surprise, Audrey Hepburn. Uh, so we'll get to that. But yeah. um, it's just like there's so many running jokes throughout this. Like like you said, oh, the that fact that so she's funny. hungry. Um, yes. Well, with, uh, uh, with uh, Bartholomew, the CIA bad guy at the end when he explains to her, you know, uh, we are like the CIA. Do you know what that is? She's like, no clue. Um, so you mean like spies and stuff. all that? Exactly. And he's like, mm, we call them agents. And so then whenever one of the two, they, whenever the two of them see each other and one of the two says spy, the other one will correct them and say agent. And so it keeps going the entire movie, you know, and he'll be like, yeah, but you know when the spies and she's like, mm, agents. And then when she says, yeah, but the spies, he's like, mm, agents. And it's like a running joke. Like, it's not that hard to remember it's agents, but okay, it was 1963. CIA was new, I guess. Yeah. Oh, and there's also this <sighs> bit where she constantly tells people to stop smoking and then she starts smoking. And like this one yes. exchange where she and accepts a cigarette, she puts it out and then she like takes another. And he's like, do you no, have any not, idea how expensive no, these are? It's, no, 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 no. It's even worse than that. The reason he told her that is as a smoker, <clears throat> I'll let you know, is because she rips the filter off of the cigarette. Um, she cuts the filter off and then starts smoking it. And then takes another Damn. one, has the reflex <laughs> to rip the filter off. And he's like, what's wrong with the first one? And she's like, oh, I guess nothing. So she gives him the cigarette she hasn't lit yet, but the filter has gone and finishes the first one. But that's when he says, do you know how expensive these are over here? And I guess he's smoking, you know, probably an American brand of cigarettes like Marlboro or Philip Morris that at the time weren't really available in France. Um and because the filter's off now, it's, I mean, it's still smokable, obviously, because she's doing it, but it's, it's not quite the same. So that's, that's why he was a little bit pissed. Um, my, my favorite thing, though, was, um, so first it's Charles who gets killed in his pajamas. Then they find the man who drowned in a bathtub, but they made it look like he died in his bed. So they put him in his pajamas. And then uh, the other guy, the older one of the three, um also gets killed in the elevator in his pajamas and so at that point the inspector is going crazy the french inspector because he's like three of them dead in two days in their pajamas all of them <clears throat> he says something like, you know something like that like something's going on like it's this is so stupid like it's not possible and he looks at audrey hepburn and uh, Carrie Grant, who are both in their pajamas when they find the body because, you know, it's morning. And the inspector leaves and tells them, because, you know, they're like, well, what should we do? And he's like, don't stay in your pajamas, I guess. Like, he's just losing his shit over the fact that three Americans have just been found dead in France, all of them in their pajamas. That's the only thing he can focus on is their pajamas, which is accurate of French police, I guess, especially at the time. But also, I've just checked it out. $250,000 back in 1963 is equivalent now to $2,230,000. That's a lot of fucking money. So, no wonder they were all willing to kill for it. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of money. Um, <clears throat> I, I also have to point out my absolute favorite interaction. Like, she goes to a nightclub with, like, Cary Grant to, like, <laughs> cheer her up. And she gets accosted by these three guys because they're like, where's the fucking money? Where's the money? And they all come to her in succession in, like, a phone booth. And by the yeah. end, like, Cary Grant walks in at her and she goes, ah! And he's like, what are you doing in here? And she looks at him deadpan serious and goes, I'm having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and it's my absolute favorite moment with Audrey Hepburn because she just pulls it off so well. Yeah. But like right away from the beginning, like there's so much like comedy, like uh, at the very beginning, she's eating like this huge meal at the ski club when she's telling Sylvie that she's going to get a divorce. And Sylvie looks down as they begin to get up and walk away and goes, it is infuriating that your unhappiness does not turn to fat. And <laughs> <laughs> I felt that a lot. Um, so that's great. And then when she first meets Peter Joshua, she's like, you're blocking my view. And he like turns around and goes, which view would you prefer? And she goes, the one you're blocking. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was just it was so just good. Really good. It was it was really good. And, um, you know, I just... I really appreciated the fact that the French people were not cliche. Uh, I thought that mm-hmm. the way Paris was portrayed, uh, even when they're in the park, uh, things like that, it's not, it's not cliche. I mean, I obviously wasn't there at the time, but um, I do not believe that it was very different. You know, the subway for me was very fun to see how it was in 1963. Obviously, a lot of things have changed since then in terms of... Um, buying your ticket buying a ticket i mean you still have the person there but um now it's also mainly machines you don't have an actual person checking your ticket before you can go in it's like machines now as well that you can cheat by jumping over over them uh you do not have an automatic door on the platform that just shuts you know and blocks you from getting to the platform when the train is coming in that's not happening anymore either um I don't know. And in the colonnade, when they have the shootout, it was fun because I uh, used to walk through that to get to work during the strikes. So at first I was like, I, it, this feels familiar, but I'm not sure. And then I was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, I know this. I know exactly where they're at. And when they're in the gardens also, it, you know, well, the sad part is obviously so many things have changed, you know, when they see the stamp market or when you see people selling um, newspapers, a lot of these jobs have disappeared out of that is, is gone now, but mm-hmm. you see the nuns walking around the kids playing around. And I haven't seen a nun in Paris in a long time, but I mean, it is, it is completely realistic in terms of how Paris was in 1963. Which I really the admire thing, because yeah. Yeah. Well, this movie was shot on location, too, which is also, like, big props to them. And you said that you were, like, impressed with how, like, comfortable mm-hmm. Audrey Hepburn seemed, like, speaking French and, like, just being in the environment, which makes a lot of sense. She was very European in, like, a very broad sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, like, the only thing that I found that was not realistic, and maybe they did at the time, I have no idea, but... um Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn take this boat on the Seine, right, for dinner, which <laughs> is still a thing. You can still do it. Um, it's obviously, you know, they're not going to stop doing that. It's, it's perfect for people. It's really cool, actually, if you have the chance to go, whether you eat dinner or you're just going, you know, on a boat tour. Um, it's, it's beautiful, so you should do it. But so they're on there. And at some point, the boat turns 
all of its lights off. And Cary Grant tells Audrey Hepburn, like, come on over and just look. And she's like, what? And then this one guy on the boat shines this huge floodlight on couples that are kissing on benches by the Seine. As if it was like some sort of entertainment for the people on the boat to be looking at these couples that are like all of a sudden startled by this big light while they're kissing. And I was like, what? And that's, that's the only thing that I didn't really understand, but... Okay. I thought it was always funny when they shine the light on them and then some of them just keep kissing. And I'm like, you go. Well, yeah. Like, come on, who cares? But um, I feel one... like if that happened now, it would just be interrupting a lot of blowjobs. No, come on. <laughs> no, not on the benches right by the sand. So many people walk past there. There are people living there, unfortunately, that don't have, you know, a home. Um People are nasty. Yeah, but this is not the Bois de Boulogne. I mean, literally, there's so many people walking by the Seine that, no. And so many boats now. I mean, not so many. I had someone walk up to so me. Many. I had someone walk up to me on Las Ramblas in, the, in Barcelona, like literally the busiest street in the entire fucking city and go, hey, you want a blowjob? And I'm like, no, get away from me. Go, go away. Well, of course, that's going to happen. That's going to happen anywhere, darling. But I, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't. I don't think so. Um, okay. But, but the, the, the one shock thing... silence was worth it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. The one thing that I did that I did like, though, that was funny, is when she gets, like, she tells him she wants ice cream, and they're walking by the sun, and uh, I don't know, she eats a tiny bit of ice cream and then tells him, do you want some, and mistakenly, you know, puts it on his suit, and he's like, oh, come on. And then they're talking about the whole story, you know, uh, killing people for the money, whatever. And she tells him, she's like, would you do that? And he's like, what, kill people for money? And she's like, no, swing from a rope from this building to come rescue your, uh, the woman that you love. You know, that's what they did in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And he's like, what? And she's like, look behind you. And he looks behind him and there's Notre Dame. And his reaction is, oh, who put that there? And I was like... Cary Grant, I do not have the answer to your question. I'm sorry. Who put that there? People. The architects. I, that's such a weird reaction to seeing Notre Dame. Oh, who put that there? <laughs> like, what? It's like if you looked at the Eiffel Tower for the first time and you're like, the hell is this? Who put that there? <laughs> like, what? I do love how they didn't... Like, it wasn't... I do love how it wasn't the Eiffel Tower. Because, like, I know the Eiffel Tower is, like, a really big monument. And, like, it defines the silhouette of the city. But, like, it's not the most important. It's not no. the coolest to walk around. That was, for me, no. it's like, oh, this feels like they're actually in Paris. Because if they were exactly. just flashing the Eiffel Tower around all the time, I'm like, okay, cool. You, This doesn't feel like it's set in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I love her banter she is just so charming and she's particularly charming in this movie too um mm -hmm. and it's just very it's just very nice um yeah do you have a favorite moment because i've asked you before and you said i had to think about it so i'm still thinking about it um <laughs> i don't know i really liked the ending when he's like sitting behind his desk and makes a funny face at her because you know I, he was a good guy all along. I thought that was fun. And the mm -hmm. funeral scene is hilarious. I'm sorry. It's so funny because she really, like, she's with her friend Sylvie. And she's all, like, you know, being a widow, of course. So she, you know, there's nobody in there.
except for the policeman. Um, and she tells Sylvie, you know, well, at least he knows how to uh, behave during funerals. And the guy is actually just clipping his nails. Like he doesn't Which have... Is- very fresh i was like yeah um (laughs) but then you know these guys show up one after the other everyone more threatening than the the next you know and she starts realizing that oh my god what the fuck and um one of them just takes a pin out of his coat and just stabs charles dead body in the hand to see if he's reacting or not and audrey hepburn's face she's just like so shocked like what the fuck man what just happened like there was nobody at my husband's funerals like five minutes ago and now like these three scary looking dudes just came in one after the other and scared the shit out of me it was just so funny it was so funny yeah also there's this really great exchange where sylvie's like didn't charles have any friends and she's like don't ask me i'm only the widow (laughs) (laughs) oh and then right after what you just described like this big inspector like this big messenger guy taps her shoulder and she goes what the hell she's like pardon man and he just like backs out of the room after giving her a note yeah but what was the note it was just meet me at the embassy that was when he she was gonna go meet Bartholomew that's right yeah so anyway I I really liked it um Really, until the very end, I wasn't sure who it was, what was going on. I had my suspicions, and I was right. So I would just like to point that out. I was, I was right. I knew Bartholomew was suspicious. I was like, "That's suspicious. That's suspicious." Because when she walks in, there's no secretary there, and he's like, "Oh, she must have gone to lunch, dude. You work in the American Embassy. I'm pretty sure that at the time, and even maybe today, if the boss doesn't take a break, the secretary doesn't take a break." Who the fuck do you think you are, Bartholomew? It was so weird. And I was like, mm, he's suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. He was suspicious. I called it. <laughs> I called it. I was like, mm, that's weird. That's weird. So yeah, now to th- even just thinking about it, his messenger at the funerals was also very weird. Also, other thing that has changed a lot since 1963, you do not get to just come on in to the American embassy. Nope. You do not. <laughs> I had to go in there a couple times. I know you definitely don't get to just walk in there. The Marines are still there, you know. Yeah, but uh, you don't you don't just get to walk up to a Marine that's guarding the the embassy and being like, oh, hi, Marine. Uh, I'm looking for this person. Oh, yeah. Office 217. Perfect. Thank you so much. Have a good day. And then just walk in. There's no, there's so many metal detectors and you have to go through a whole thing and your bag gets checked. And I think you can't even take any liquids in there. It's kind of like the airport. Um, God. It's, yeah, you don't, you don't just walk in. That was very weird to see that. I was like, since, since, yeah. since when, since when? Oh, before terrorism. Okay. So. Yep. So that is charade. I'm really glad you liked it. I was worried that you oh, wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, would you recommend this movie to people if they haven't oh, seen it before? Of course. And it's, uh, it's free on YouTube. It's also on Wikipedia, on the Wikipedia page for the movie. It's on there. Um, I don't know yep, about the and... movie quality of Wikipedia, but the YouTube one was good. Yeah. Uh, and that does go back to the thing we mentioned last week. A uh, funny yeah. thing about this movie is that um, because they forgot, forgot to put <laughs> literally the word copyright in the credits at the time which before 1978 u.s copyright law required that you do that the movie was accidentally put in the public domain so you can find copies of it anywhere like you can find it online 
for free and it's totally legal. And yeah, um, they even have the full movie posted on Wikipedia. So again, I definitely recommend this movie. It is really great. Um, and I, I definitely recommend it. I'm glad you liked it. And also yes. Audrey Hepburn is just such a treat, which kind of leads us into our next point, which is badass of the week. Um, so we try and do living people because it's nice to know that there are good people in the world, but Audrey Hepburn is our badass of the week. And we wanted to talk a little bit about her because she is known and beloved the world over, of course, as being um, Tiffany or not Tiffany, but she's Holly Golightly in Breakfast at Tiffany's. She's of course in Charade. She was in My Fair Lady, like one of the absolute icons of cinema. Um, but her life and her legacy are a lot more um, in depth than that. And it's really fascinating. So she was born in Belgium, and Ooh, she is Belgium the, yep. one, America zero. Continue. Yes, uh, she's not Belgian technically, though. Her mother was a Dutch baroness, <laughs> and her father was a British diplomat, kind of pseudo aristocrat. But she um, she went to school for the UK in the UK for a little bit before moving back to Holland, where she lived during the Nazi occupation with her mom. And going back to that pin, one of the reasons why she was so thin was because the Netherlands was one of the worst like hit countries in terms of famine during mm -hmm. World War II. And in fact, the Nazis deliberately tried to starve the Dutch people out. So she all her life she suffered from the consequences of being chronically malnourished during her teenage years. It even ruined her first dream, which was to become a prima ballerina. So she's mm. actually a trained dancer, and you get a little bit of that in some of her movies, like Funny Face. Um, it's also why she's so thin. Like, there's this uh, internet, like, legend, that this internet myth that goes around that Audrey Hepburn was so thin because she had anorexia. That's not true. Oh. She actually had to work really hard not to be so thin and she suffered from again like a lot of the health effects from being so malnourished as a child um mm -hmm. and she says that her first like real like cherished memory of the war ending was when american gis and also uh unicef came into the netherlands and gave her a chocolate bar and she was so hungry that um, she ate the whole thing down and drank a can of condensed milk and vomited in the side of the road. And she was so happy, which mm. inspired a lifelong love for chocolate. Um, she also, it's one of my favorite meals, actually. She also lived in Italy for a time with her second husband, Andrea Dotti, or her first husband, Andrea Dotti. No, second, sorry, my bad. Second husband, Andrea Dotti, and uh, spaghetti al pomodoro. Uh, she loved pasta. She loved carbs, uh, loved chocolate. So she loved to eat. She loved food. Um, she was also a really great mom. Like she had, uh, I think like two or three kids. They all absolutely adore her. Her son, Mel Ferrer wrote like several biographies of his mother and even a cookbook talking about his cherished memories with her growing up. Mm. Um, she had three major partners growing up. She was first married to the actor Mel Ferrer. Then she was married to the Italian director slash actor Andrea Dotti. Um, both ended in divorce, unfortunately. Um, and then the last partner she had was also an actor. 
I'm double checking, but they bonded because they were both um, survivors of the Nazi occupation in Holland. Uh, and mm. they bonded a lot over that. Um, and he was with her until her death in 1993. Oh, Robert Wolders. Um, and they were together for about like 13 years or so. Um, and so another thing that really makes her amazing is that later in her life, after she retired from acting, um, she became a UNICEF goodwill ambassador, uh, and toured around the world in South Africa or South America and Africa and Asia in the late eighties, early nineties to campaign against child hunger. Mm. Um, and it really brought attention to this issue. She was even awarded the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1992 for her work. She really loved children. She was a great mom, and she really wanted to use her fame and her stardom to bring attention to famine and to kind of make children's lives better, which is really inspiring. She died pretty young, actually. She died of uh, yeah, she was 63 and she had cancer, right? Yep, she died in Switzerland of uh, cancer of the appendix when she was only 63. The appendix? I thought it was the abdomen. Um, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, can you get cancer of the appendix? Mm-hmm. And also, Mom. like, it is worth noticing that her career is also extraordinary. So she got her big break in 1951 when she was discovered by Colette herself for um, starring in Gigi on Broadway. And then she was in uh, her first major movie, Roman Holiday, which is an absolute classic. Um, and she won an Oscar for Best Actress for her very first movie in Hollywood. And then she was in, of course, like Sabrina, Funny Face, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Charade, My Fair Lady. Um, one of my other favorite movies, uh, which is uh, How to Steal a Million. She played opposite some of the greatest actors. She was also in um, War and Peace. So she had a really like amazing career. She is one of only 16 people to have won an Oscar, an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony Award. Dang. Yeah. Isn't that what they uh, call the goat? EGOT or something like that. Um, so it's pretty, pretty fucking like impressive. Uh, not only that, but she is an absolute style icon. So like mm -hmm. she really defined like a movement in fashion and her look was honestly, we're, we're kind of like the whole trope of like the pixie dream girl and like the thin waifish girl or like kind of like the boyish chime and all that, that was completely new. She came into Hollywood at an age where we have like the other major icons of screen, like Marilyn Monroe and like the Hitchcock blondes. And she wasn't like, she didn't like look down on other women or anything like that, but she was the super thin, petite, doe eyed, dark haired, little thing and she was captivating like um she really kind of defined a, a fashion and um it was really it was really fascinating she's also one of the most photographed people in the world so wow. that's very extraordinary <clears throat> she's mm. also like as we kind of alluded to extremely just european like she had mm -hmm. british citizenship but she also her mom was dutch she lived in 
like she lived in Paris. She lived in like Rome for 20 years. She uh, had her final home and like most of her life with her kids in Switzerland. Uh, she spoke like three or four languages, French, Dutch, um, English, uh, I want to say German pretty well, although I'm not entirely sure about that, but she at least spoke three languages fluently. And yeah, that's Audrey Hepburn. Uh, I definitely recommend some of her movies. She's just kind of like an unproblematic fave. Well, and also, you know, I think next time that you see a poster, the poster for breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, that's so such a famous picture. Um, think about who's on it. Basically. Mm-hmm. You know, it just goes to show. It was the first time I watched an Audrey Hepburn movie, and I really had no idea who she was um, because I had just seen that poster of her, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, you know, fashion icon and great actress." No idea what happened to her before her career. No idea what happened after her career. Got no clue. Like, okay, it's Audrey Hepburn. Um, no, there is like so much more to her, and it just goes to show that you never really know. So. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was very cool to be able to kind of discover her for the you know obviously the first time and uh, now I'm gonna just look for other movies with her in it because uh, in them because I think she was absolutely amazing and uh, not only in her movies but just in life so yep yes which leads me to my suggestion for next week's movie it is. Another Audrey Hepburn movie. I'm so sorry. Yes. No, I just said I went to see more. Okay, tell me. I'm on Netflix right now. I'm going to look. So it might not be on Netflix. I don't know where it's at. But it is the movie How to Steal a Million. It stars Audrey Hepburn, obviously. But it also stars, oh, what's his name? He's a really great, like, famous actor. One sec. There it is. I'm pulling it up now. Yes, How to Steal a Million is a 1966 uh, comedy film uh, starring Audrey Hepburn and Peter O'Toole, who is one of the legends of star and screen, who is known for playing um, Lawrence of Arabia, like that Peter mm. O'Toole. Okay. He also So this movie is directed by William Wilder, uh, Wyler, and it stars... <laughs> it stars Audrey, Audrey Hepburn as... Nicole Bonet, the uh, kind of straight-laced, super practical daughter of Charles Bonet, who is an eccentric art forger and millionaire. Uh, She lives in her dad's house because it's expensive in Paris. Uh, And basically, she just tries to be like honest, straightforward, practical. She's not into the fact that her, her dad's kind of a crook. Um, but what can you do? And cause like all of the super great works of art that are in her family home are forgeries. Like there's a Van Gogh, there's a Cellini or Cellini Venus. And, uh, at the beginning of the movie, uh, her father rakes in like another few million or so by selling a Van Gogh, which goes up on auction. And she's like, Papa, you can't keep doing this. And he's like, what did I go wrong? Why is my daughter so boring? You have a job. You you don't steal anything. Like, this is in your blood. Uh, so one night, she she's just kind of hanging out at home where her dad goes on, goes to an exhibition uh, because one of their family, Cellini, Venuses, which is super Don't tell me everything about the movie. We'll 
this is just the setup okay and then uh she stops a burglar who's kind of hot but she accidentally shoots him (laughs) what okay and with that you're gonna have to find out how she steals a million all right. Well, listen, I'm telling you, I'm looking it up now. I Okay, I can get it on Amazon, but I don't want to give my money to Jeff Bezos. You could rent it from YouTube. Perfect. There you go. That's what I'll do. Fuck Jeff. Oh, that's that's one thing. Just one thing. Wait, no, no. Sh- ah, ah, I clicked. No, I clicked. No, ah, shut up. Um, I clicked on the link. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was that was me. That was me getting mad at you at YouTube. Um, no, that's one thing. I'm sorry. It's like a complete change of subject. But but uh, talking about my arch nemesis, uh, Jeff Bezos, who doesn't even know I exist, but I don't give a shit. Um, I love the song Jeff Bezos by Bo Burnham. It's been stuck in my head <laughs> all week. All week, it's been there. All week, I had my my coworker listen to it since he was so mad at uh, at Jeff's bank account. Um, but uh, yeah, so so then I also discovered this song, "Welcome to the Internet," also by Bo Burnham, which you might have heard on TikTok. Um, A little bit of everything, all of the time. Yeah, it was. It's just so good. So I've also been listening to that all week. So if uh, if any of you were looking for any sort of recommendation, which I know I'm probably late to the party and everybody knows about this, but um, doesn't matter. I didn't. So you should really check check them out. Bo Burnham is um, is amazing. I think I don't know that much about him, but um, he's very talented, and I think that it was really cool. Uh, you know, he made a, an, an entire album sitting at home like we all sat at home i didn't create an entire album with music videos too much (laughs) so uh so i really you know respect his work and i i hope he's not a trash person i don't i don't think he is i think he's pretty squarely not a trash person yeah okay he's pretty pretty okay i don't want to stand him because i don't believe in standing anymore um but he seems like a good artist and yeah relatable as fuck yeah, so I also had my mom uh, watch this um, video of one of his concerts, you know, where uh, I don't know if it's concerts or lives because it's comedy, but also music. I have no idea. Anyway, his performance uh, when he sings from God's perspective. Have you ever heard this one? I think I have. <laughs> you know, maybe God just doesn't believe in you. Like, I was like, oh, my God. So because my mom doesn't believe in any religion, really. The organized religions um i had her listen to it and i wasn't sure she would really get into it but uh she did i just don't think i can have her listen to any other ones of his songs because some of the stuff can be a little bit you know welcome to the internet when he talks about harry potter characters fucking each mm-hmm. other i don't want my mom listening to that she won't understand it's a whole different generation of people using the internet we can't do that but anyway yeah so yeah so that was that was just my little last little check-in before we wrap the episode up but uh devin thank you so much for uh telling me about this movie because it was really really good i really enjoyed it i might watch it again another day uh you know just because now i know who did it so and um <laughs> 
and uh, I look forward to watching this other one. Oh mm-hmm. my god, it's on YouTube, but it's in French. I don't want that. Who the fuck does that? What? No. <gasps> and I'll figure it out. What? You mean you went on to French YouTube and it's only giving it to you in French? What's oh, next? On. I Google something have... here and it comes up in English? How dare come you? Come on. They have Ocean's 8 in the original version, okay? It's just because it's an older movie. So you don't have the original mm. version. That's all I I'll figure it out. Maybe I'll end up giving four euros to Jeff Bezos. Mm. Jeffrey all Bezos. Right. Jeffrey CEO Bezos. CEO entrepreneur born in 1964. Jeffrey. Damn it. Okay, Jeffrey that's it. We don't have the rights. 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 I don't want to get okay. sued by Bo Barnum. Sorry, Bo. Sorry, Bo. I won't do it again. You're just so good. Okay, anyway. Uh, yeah. Devin, I love you, and I miss you, and thank you, thank you, thank you, and have an amazing week. Yep. And with that, everyone, thank you so much for listening to Transatlantic Confusion. We're a little bit less confused. We're still pretty confused. And if you Until wanted to follow week. us... <laughs> Yes. Until next week, uh, you can give us a follow on Instagram at Podcast Transatlantic, where we post funny memes, updates about episodes when we can, and kind of go from there. We are also available on all major podcasting sites, Overwatch, not Overwatch, is it Overwatch? (laughs) Overcast. Overcast. Isn't that a video game? (laughs) Yeah. Overcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. Google Podcasts. Yeah. You can also follow each of us at dev underscore Moncada for me. And you can also follow confused underscore Camille on Instagram. That's Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Love you, Camille. A bientôt. A bientôt. Salut, salut. Salut.